Chicks in China podcast, where a British and an American girl satisfy all your curiosity and questions about what it's like to live in China today. And now your hosts, Holly and Nora. Hello, everyone. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Two White Chicks in China. This is episode one hundred and forty-five. I feel like we should do something special for one hundred and fifty. It's another one of those big milestones. Yeah. Do you have something in mind? Are we gonna have to brainstorm? <laughs> <laughs> I think we probably have to brainstorm, considering I'm over here and you're over there. Yeah, it's funny. I was just thinking, like, we're the two white chicks in China, but we haven't seen each other for what six months. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> My heart is in China. <laughs> oh, I'm sure, always. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is crazy. Yeah, I haven't. On the one hand, it's been nice because I haven't had a chance to be home in Wisconsin for over a decade. So I've done the Fourth of July, which I haven't had since. Yeah, since actually, it's been eleven years since I was here for the Fourth of July. My dad's birthday, all these things that I've missed over the years, so I've had a chance to kind of have that back for a little bit, and that's been really cool. But at the same token, the longer I'm over here, the farther away China feels, and especially with this political climate, it doesn't feel like it's getting any closer. It feels like it's getting farther away. Yeah, absolutely, and I mean, not that a whole lot has changed here, but I. I don't know. I imagine it will be kind of a culture shock for you to come back eventually. Well, it's been—you're right. It's been a culture, a reverse culture shock being here for so long. Because usually it's just like a week and then we're back, or like two weeks, three weeks most. But this time, it's really—I've really had a chance to reorient myself into the culture and actually realize how much mentally I've changed over the years. And some of it is just normal maturing stuff, and other part is just because my reality has been shaped in China for the last nearly eleven years now. So it has caused my thinking to be different, and my response to things to be slightly different. And so it's like all really subtle stuff. Like I've met with a lot of, I've had a chance to meet with a lot of people from my childhood, and just. Navigating those relationships again has been a little bit strange. Like it's felt a little bit alien to me. <laughs> and then, yeah, I think when I get back to China, it's gonna have a similar thing. Like after having been here for so long and kind of readjusting, and then going back to China to adjust again, it'll be interesting to see <laughs> how everything goes. And also with the kids, like Dahlia, my Oldest daughter has been asking me every day, like, "Are we going back to China?" Because she's, you know, she misses her toys, and her her princess dresses and things that are in China that she remembers. But I'm curious as to how she's gonna adjust back to life there. So we will see. Yeah, absolutely. It's strange enough for an adult, but for a child, I can't even imagine. And I mean, she's always she's not a baby, but it's I find it so peculiar that she, how she, separates the two places. Like it's it's insane. 
She definitely doesn't understand how far away it is because she'll ask me like, because she's been like obsessing over her, you know, frozen dress. She has like an Elsa dress, like every (laughs) child under the age of 10. Um, And so she's she wants to go back to China to grab it and to come back to Nana and Poppy's house to wear it. So in her brain, it's like so easy to just like go back to China, grab her dress and come back to the U.S. Like no big deal. Not like it's not like a 20 hour journey every time. (laughs) Priorities. I know. I know. But she's fixated on that. She says, tomorrow are we going to go to China? I'm like, no, I don't think so. (laughs) Unfortunately, she's young enough where I feel like it's not going to be a problem. You know, she's three, so Mm -hmm. I think she'll she'll have an easier way. And the baby shouldn't have a problem other than, you know, probably like missing being in the grass and stuff out here. But I thought that Dahlia would forget about China kind of because here she has she has so many things to stimulate her that she doesn't have in China like we go swimming every other day at the pool and it's not crowded at all nobody's bothering her she's got built-in playmates next door she's got the swing set in the backyard you know it's just very I feel like ideal for a kid but still she asks me about China like every single day so it's interesting, like you said, I wonder how she processes the differences between the two places. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, let's see. When you when you get back, we'll, we'll see what happens. <laughs> we will see. And you will hear all about it, listeners. <laughs> so should we get out oh, of yeah. the show? Yeah, absolutely. Um, before we, we get into it, I just want to thank everyone for continuing to support us. And um, I, I also want to say thank you to, we, we have a new supporter, Ashley, on Patreon. Uh, that's patreon.com slash two white chicks. And she's actually, um, she's left, she left us a question as well. So I'll, I'll fill you on, on that, fill you in on that, Nora, because oh, uh, it's an interesting great. one. Yeah. You know, we got a really interesting question on Facebook this week too. Mm. So I'm happy to see that there are still people out there listening despite our you know, kind of spaced out episodes these days. Yeah. So thank you for that. Um, but we are always looking for more topics. So please don't be shy. You can send us a voicemail written Chinese.com slash voicemail, or you can hit us up on social media or email or Patreon, wherever you find us. We're at Two White Chicks um, on Facebook. That's T-W-O, not the number two. So we are looking forward to hearing what you're curious about in China. Thank you so much, Ashley. That's so nice to hear that you've not only sent us a question, but also helped to contribute to keeping this thing going. Yeah, absolutely. So, so on that note, Nora, do you have a, a fact about China for us? Oh, yeah. So I'm just going to literally read a couple paragraphs from Wikipedia about Shenzhen and its skyscrapers because I was just astounded by this. So Shenzhen is in Guangdong province, which is called Canton. It was called Canton back in the day, Guangdong Canton. It kind of sounds similar. Um, so it says it's home to over 283 completed skyscrapers, making it the second largest concentration in the world after neighboring Hong Kong, which I didn't realize. Wow. I always imagined for whatever reason in my brain, Tokyo was like the place with all the skyscrapers, but I didn't realize Hong Kong had more, which... I guess that makes sense because everybody's concentrated in such a small area. 
Um, so the tallest building in Shenzhen is 599 meters. So that's uh, almost 2,000 feet. And that's the Ping'an Finance Center, which was completed, I think, three years ago now. It's a beautiful building right smack in the middle of Shenzhen. Um, it also is currently the fourth tallest in the world. The second and tallest fully completed building in the city is 442 meters. That's around 1,500 feet. And that's the Kinki Finance Tower. And then the third one is uh, Shunhing Square, otherwise known as the Diwang Building, which oh, yeah. stands, yeah, it's 384 meters or around 1,300 feet, and it has 69 stories. Um, it was the tallest all-steel building in China at its completion in 1996. So that's been there for a while. Wow. So she says, Shenzhen's high-rise building boom shows no sign of slowing down with numerous proposals <laughs> for skyscrapers taller than 150 meters. Um, skyscraper construction started in Shenzhen, and this is the surprising part, in 1978. So it's so fast. Wow. I mean, from 1978, so it said... Um, in 1978, it was uh, the tallest building in the city was five stories tall. So in the next decade, <laughs> 300. <Wow>. So 300 <laughs> high rises were erected in the city, including the Guomao building. Um, and it was yeah. a, and it was the city's first skyscraper and was the tallest building in mainland China upon its opening in 1985. Wow. And then as Shenzhen's high-rise construction boom progressed into the 90s, the skyscrapers erected in the city became taller. In the decade spanning from 1996 to 2006, 18 buildings taller than 200 meters were completed. The tallest of these was the Diwang building, which I used to live right across the street from. Um, most of Shenzhen's skyscrapers are concentrated in Lohu, Futian, and Nanshan districts. Shenzhen skyscraper boom is attributed to its status as one of the fastest growing cities in the world. I would argue the fastest. <laughs> I don't know any other place that's going faster than Shenzhen. If you know, listeners, let me know. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I think uh, I don't know if this is true, but I have a feeling that right next to the Ping An building, they're actually already constructing like a competitor a building that will be taller but but i could be i could be wrong about that oh man i would not envy anybody who owns property who has owned property in coco park for the last decade or so because that area has just been one big construction site for so long and i know the property is really valuable but if you're living there that must be so obnoxious just sun up sun down sounds of construction it would be just so obnoxious yeah i mean i i think we've we've all experienced that from time to time i mean not on a such a huge scale but there always seems to be some sort of construction work even if it's you know they're just doing some sort of road work but it's it seems pretty constant i think i guess i've been pretty lucky because when i lived over at judzalin there was just nothing it was just mm. sea and park and then <laughs> In my last couple of places, too, I haven't really had. I've had, like, I had road noise in the place previous to the one I'm at now, but I actually haven't had a whole lot of that squeaky crane sound and oh yeah things collapsing sound. <laughs> so I've been pretty lucky. Yeah, me neither, really. Just the small inconveniences of, like, right now outside, 
my place they they've started to dig up all of the the sidewalk i have no idea what they're doing but it's it's what you you leave in the morning and it's fine and you come back uh, after work and you don't know how to get back into your building <laughs> <laughs> well and last year they completely gutted your building and it was just like you know uh, electric so wires <laughs> hanging from the ceiling it was horrible i mean they were they they did complete it relatively quickly i mean it was kind of slow by tiny standards but in by world standards it was pretty fast to to fix it all up again but it was just like it was dangerous because like in china i don't think they have the same kind of regulations as you would in the west where if people are living there you need to keep the space at a certain level of functionality but they just literally yeah. gutted it as if nobody was living in there and then i mean now it looks great but it was i just remember going over to your place and being like oh no <laughs> try to get the stroller up those the rubble <laughs> yes so yeah it's crazy it was, a, it was a, a nightmare yeah yeah Okay, well, I have uh, a news article here. It's a, it's a pretty interesting one. This, this happened last month, and the headline, uh, the headline was Thousands Hunt for Mysterious Creature Hearing Dragons Humming. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I love this uh, already. Yeah, so this happened in Guizhou province, and basically thousands of villagers... Uh, flocked to the top of the uh, of this mountain, um, believing they could hear a dragon, like growling, and so many people uh, started to gather that the local officials had to actually set up roadblocks to stop more people going to investigate the sound, and people were really quite scared. I think um, they. Farmers had been complaining that they were hearing these strange noises and then film crews arrived and they were record like recording this noise and uh, so th this happened for for quite a while and they decided okay Guizhou officials said okay we need to figure this out and eventually zoologists revealed that it was actually the noise of a small bird called the uh, yellow-legged button quail uh, <laughs> and this bird is actually a, a little bit bigger than a sparrow but it makes this massive noise that can be heard <laughs> as far as 100 meters which is a, a 328 feet away and especially when the females uh, when it's like breeding season the females make this like booming hoot uh, and that's why the the locals believe that this was possibly a dragon, uh, wow. which is awesome, to be honest. Uh, the idea that, you know, there could actually be a dragon in the mountains. I love yeah. this. The bird sounds so cute, the name of it, the button quail. It sounds so cute. <laughs> yeah. And I'm just imagining the cutest little bird with just the most horrific roar. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like it's a cart. It's got to be a cartoon, or it's it's a good idea for a cartoon, anyway. I'm sure they'll make some gifs out of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. You know what I love about China? A lot of times is the the just like really stark contrast between different things. So on the one hand, you have a very advanced society, and then you have on the other hand, you have 
very superstitious. So, okay, maybe that's, maybe that's, um, insulting to say that that's not an advanced way to think but to me this seems like you know this like old superstitious idea that there's like literally a dragon in the woods and you have these two things because there's still a lot of people in China who are very superstitious about different things and so it's really interesting when those kind of let's say more traditional cultural elements pop up amongst this like super high paced you know, we're just talking about all the skyscrapers and all the technology and then to have people, thousands of people driving up a mountain to hunt for a dragon. It's awesome. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so true. Yeah. Uh, I just, um, there's a quote here in this article. It says, a dozen, a dozen villagers followed the sound to a cornfield and chased down a yellow bird with a really short tail. <laughs> oh, just just makes it sound even more, even more peculiar. Yeah, but the I images thought it was in my great, head right now are so funny. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Definitely link that in the show notes. I want to oh, see yeah, that little button there. quail. Yeah, it's it's cute. Yeah, I'll put those in our show notes. That'll be at uh, writtenchinese.com/episode one four five and yeah a link to the article and so you can see you can see pictures and you can see that there are like screenshots from the from the footage pair pair video took uh they got footage so you can see some screenshots too great shall we move on with today's topic yes all right so today we we're doing something a little bit different we're not taking a user question because we wanted to talk about something that is near and dear to many listeners hearts and that is learning Chinese we've spoken a little bit of it in the past but um, we wanted to give a quick and dirty list about some of the mistakes that Holly and I have made in our road to learning Chinese. So Holly, do you want to kick us off with something that you wish you could have done differently when you started learning Chinese? Yes. Um, and in all fairness, this is something I feel like I still struggle with even today. Um, the feeling too embarrassed to speak. Um, uh. Yeah. So I, I think this is, there are several reasons for this. Uh, one of the one of the reasons is just the way that I am in general. I I'm quite I feel quite you know I'm embarrassed in in general, but I think one of the I, I always have this fear that if I speak incorrectly that I'm gonna get I'll be criticized and um, you know people don't want you to speak incorrectly, so I should not say it at all. Um, but actually, this is so not true for the, you know, in the majority of cases. Um, actually, even speaking just a little bit of Chinese, um, most people will say, oh, wow, like your Chinese is so good or, oh, you can speak Chinese. And you're not going to argue and say, oh, no, well, you know, I don't speak much. You know, you, you, you can, you know, pat yourself on the back <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> And use it to kind of give yourself some, you know, confidence to to keep to continue. Um, and you will meet inevitably come across people who are who probably will make a remark, but you you just need to push past it and you know and just speak because 
if I had just just done it and spoken as much as I could have, my spoken Chinese would be way better now. And it's something that I've, I really, really regret. Probably my number one, number one regret. I can definitely understand that. And although I'm not quite as shy as you are, Holly, to speak, I also took, it took me a long time to gather up the courage to speak. And to your credit, I think a lot of Chinese people haven't had a whole lot of interaction with people who are trying to speak Chinese as a foreign language. And so I have also encountered, when I, when I make comparisons to other languages that I've learned, let's take Spanish. So when I was learning Spanish, I just felt the person that I was speaking to in Spanish was giving me a lot more feedback, like was smiling and looking and, you know, I just felt encouraged by them. But I, I don't get that impression. I think it's also a Cantonese thing, like in Canton and Guangdong province, people just tend to be a little more rough in a way. And so yes. and they're just like really busy and they don't have the patience to to sit there and try to understand what you're saying and so I think the attitude sometimes that you get back especially from those busy shopkeepers those people who you would interact with on a daily basis can be kind of discouraging yeah but in a way it's it's more realistic I mean not realistic but it is a factor if you come to China and you um you're learning you've it, it, say you've already learned Chinese um actually a friend of mine he he studied Chinese, and then when he came to China, he couldn't understand anything, and he felt like he wasn't being understood at all. And it took him a while to to adjust, even though he'd studied uh, he'd studied at home, and he'd studied in Beijing. Um, but then, like actually coming, like he came back to China to work, he he found it like really difficult, and but in a way that this reaction that as you say this like not getting a lot of feedback because people are busy it's just quite it's just a realistic way that's how that's how it is <laughs> right I think the lesson here is just to not take it personally and just keep pushing yes and if somebody is kind of brushing you off you just be a little more persistent and you'll actually what I found especially like going back to the cultural like roughness of Guangdong provinces if you push a little bit more you'll actually realize how warm people are it's just that yeah. first layer so if you just insist on trying to communicate with them often they will just open up and then they will start trying but that it's just they have kind of a default of being suspicious and cold to people mm. that they don't know probably because the population yeah. is so huge and it's kind of a self-defense mechanism too you know so and just like just because yeah everything is so busy so I think if mm. you if you just stand your ground and insist on trying to communicate you will get you will get those that kind of feedback but for me I would just get really shy and embarrassed and just stop yeah. there and be like well I guess I can't I guess they don't understand me I would try once they wouldn't understand and then I would just kind of like embarrassingly walk away <laughs> it's like mm. slowly slump away <laughs> so yes. I think uh, yeah I think I've you done just have to so remember yeah just remember that it's not personal and just right. avoid avoid 
thinking that you need to study more before communicating because the communicating is a much faster path because that was also my issue too. I have that on my list too. It's a similar thing is that I would think, oh, I just, you know, I need to spend more time studying before I go out and try to talk to people. Yeah. And I think going back to that, um, one of the ways, I mean, you can develop relationships is by taking advantage of like your local area. Go to the local fruit shop or go to the uh, hairdressers and people will start to recognize you. And I don't know, they get used to you and you can, I don't know, just keep practice your Chinese that way, I guess. Yeah. And even with just a handful of words, you can communicate a lot. Like it's interesting watching my kids, their language skills developed. And like my youngest daughter is one and she knows like three words. She can say please, well, peas. <laughs> and she, you know, she and she can she can basically that basically peas is the only word she knows other than mama and dada. But she can communicate <laughs> so many things by saying peas to us like she just uses she she points and she just sometimes she gets ignored but she just insists and demands peace peace and so if you if you have just a few key words in your vocabulary like i can't tell you how far you can get with like for example kai so kai kai you can use kai for everything so kai means you can do something or or yeah so like kai ma like kai ma means can i so you can like literally go to a shop and like point to an apple, kaima, like basically communicating like, can I take this apple or can I try this apple? You know, you don't yeah. even need to know the name of the actual thing, but if you use kai and if you and also mayo, which is an easy one to remember because it sounds like mayo, like mayonnaise. Like man, mayonnaise. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think that was the first. I think that was the first like phrase I learned purely because all I could think of was mayonnaise. <laughs> Yeah, and mayo means means like either there isn't something or you can't do something. So like if you ask for something and they say mayo, it means there there isn't that thing. So again, like between kai and mayo, you can actually yeah. communicate a whole heck of a lot and just kind of slowly learn the other pieces. So just use what you have like a child would use instead of trying to directly translate English or your native language into Chinese because chances are yeah. there is no translation <laughs> anyway okay how what about one of what's one of your mistakes um I'm gonna go along similar lines like what you said mm. and I think one of my my mistakes was sticking to comfortable environments right so I mean just staying either just meeting up with foreigners when you're in China, mm. which is, it's easier said than done. I mean, before coming to China, I was like, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to just only speak to Chinese people and do my best to assimilate into the culture, et cetera, et cetera. But of course, when I got there, after you try that several times, it's exhausting and you just miss that human interaction. And it's really easy to just fall into the comfort zone of being around people who speak the same language with you and have similar cultural values. So it doesn't mean that you can't have friends who you can talk to if you're living in China, but I suggest you to just keep pushing yourself into different environments. If a Chinese person invites you 
to dinner, even though it may be awkward, just go do it. Just go. I mean, we've all sat in plenty of awkward dinners like that. And it's it's a good experience. And it really helps when building language skills. Yeah, absolutely. And doing things like that, like going for dinner or going out with uh, a Chinese friend somewhere, you're you're also going to learn a lot about the Chinese culture, which I think is really invaluable when you're learning the Chinese language. I mean, not just, obviously, you're learning about, you might learn some different dishes, um, but it's really, those things are really ingrained in the culture. I think it's, it's, it's a really fascinating thing that you'll miss out on if you don't take advantage of, not take advantage, obviously, it, but if you, if you don't, if you feel embarrassed about, you know, going for, for dinner or whatever, you're going to miss out on those things. Definitely. Do you have another one that you wished you would have done differently? Uh, this is really general, but like stopping and starting with my studying and not having any like consistency. Uh, and I mean, that's just life. And it's, you know, you can pick it back up again. But one of my biggest issues is that I, I guess I'm quite inly retentive. So if I have like a notebook and maybe I started to write notes or whatever. I, I want to start all over again, which is pointless because it means that I never get any further. I just keep go- reviewing the same thing over and over and over again. And I never make any progress or never made any progress. Yeah, ha- having some kind of method where I didn't have to, where I had like more consistency would definitely have benefited me, I think. Mm. I get that. So oh, so what you're saying is you would study Chinese for a while and then kind of yeah. take a break. Drop. And then when you'd right. come back to it, you would start again with your fresh notebook and start exactly. from the very beginning again as a newbie. Yeah. Okay, and like <laughs> right. review all this stuff. Okay, I get yeah. it. I've been there too. I also think a problem in along these same veins is that we get impatient when we're starting out with stuff and we want to we set like really high goals so you want to learn let's Mm. say let's say you want to learn 15 characters a day well that might work for the first day or two but once you get to day four or five there's no way you're going to remember all the ones from the days before and I've definitely struggled with that and that's certainly one of my mistakes is trying to be too aggressive in the beginning. And I I see that in other areas of my life too, like when I've tried to really get in shape or something, then I also do the same thing where I will work out really, really hard for a week or two. And then it's just not sustainable Mm -hmm. and just fall off the wagon and just abandon it. And I'll, you know, I'll do really well for those two weeks. And then I just, it's just not realistic to keep it going. So when you're setting your Chinese goals, you got to think long term, like, I wish I would have just told myself, okay, let's learn literally one character a day. Because mm-hmm. even though it, you could definitely learn more than that, it's way more realistic to learn one and learn it forever. You know, like not just memorizing it for a test that you'll have next week, but figure out a way. And like that kind of moves into my next point, which is basically not just learning the characters by writing them over and over again but actually picking Mm -hmm. them apart and trying to put some logic into it so where are the radicals what do the radicals mean how do the radicals contribute to the meaning or the pronunciation of the character and if you have no idea what i'm talking about um, i did write a little book thing about radicals and we have lots of free articles 
on writtenchinese.com. So if you're interested, you can check those out. Um, but it's it's just the idea of creating a way to remember the characters other than just writing them over and over again. I used to leave my house in the morning and before heading to work, I would sit on the bench in the courtyard and I would write Chinese characters over and over and over again. And I did remember them and I remembered them for quite a while. But like when I look back at the characters that I was working on there, I probably got up to a couple hundred that I was able to remember but a year later, so many of them were missing. Like I couldn't remember how to write them anymore. And that's because mm-hmm. I was just learning how to write them by just writing them over and over again. And it's also a problem with the way that Chinese is taught. Chinese is often taught by native Chinese speakers. And they do not understand the struggles that foreigner, you know, people who come from a completely different background have when trying to learn the language. So they just tell you, oh, just write it a hundred times and you'll remember it. Well, that works if you're also exposed and using those words on a daily basis. But for somebody who's using it, who's learning as a second language and who can't read yet, you don't really, you don't get that exposure that you need to concrete the, the meaning in your head. So I would suggest slowing down taking your time and setting goals that are realistic in the long term yeah i i think one of the big issues and i i've done it myself is like thinking okay i'm gonna i'm gonna study now and spending like thinking you need to spend an hour or just spending a long period of time trying to study in one go you can't do that on a consistent basis like you're not going to be able to spend an hour or two every evening studying. I mean, most people, unless you're, you are, if you're Chinese, <laughs> you are, yeah, okay, fine, yeah, okay, fine, yeah. <laughs> but for, for the for for I guess for the rest of us, it's not really, it's not very practical, and it's not an efficient way to learn. So yeah, even it. for those people yeah. who have the discipline and patience to do that, it's not always the best way to learn. Like you'll probably get more out of spending 15 minutes reviewing some stuff and then going out and trying to use it in the world than you would sitting for two hours studying from a textbook yeah so holly do you have another one for us yeah i do i i really regret not learning to read when i you know i let like i started to have classes and i was learning to speak uh chinese but i really didn't start to learn to read and write to a certain extent, maybe until I'd been in China, maybe five, five years. And uh, when I when I eventually did start to learn, a lot of other things fell into place for me. Like, uh, you know, the, the, the penny dropped and I and I really wish that I had started to learn to read much earlier um, because you begin to make so many more connections with and I and, and also I realized that actually I'd been maybe pronouncing things wrong or I'd been making connections like I was saying something and then when I realized when I learned the characters I realized oh wait a second I thought it was this uh, it, it was this meaning but actually it wasn't uh, yeah just learn to read made just made everything make a lot more sense to me I'm with you there and I there's you know this common misconception that you don't need to learn to read in order to speak Chinese and in 
In some ways, that's true. I mean, if you're talking about just basic things, because it is difficult to keep up the same pace. Like, you can definitely learn how things sound um, faster than you can learn how to read and write them. At least Mm -hmm. in my experience, it's much easier to absorb. So a lot of people will say, oh, don't worry about the characters. The characters don't matter. Just learn how to say it. And it will speed up your process in the beginning and for a while. I mean, there are people who can successfully speak without having to learn how to read. But like Holly's saying, in order to understand more what you're saying, and to me, to understand more makes it much easier to remember, you need to have some kind of idea because Chinese is so full of homonyms. I mean, not just because they have, they have four different tones and then a neutral tone. So not only do you have like ma, 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 like the, these tones, but you also have homonyms which are exactly the same tone, exactly the same pinyin. And so there's no way when you're speaking to know whether or not this homonym and that homonym are the same word or if they're completely different words. So like Holly, I have had similar situations. It's like for, uh, give you an example with xiao. So xiao and xiao. Mm-hmm. Sound pronunciation very similar, especially when you're speaking. So like Duo Xiao Qian, I always thought was Xiao like little. Like uh, I, like I thought the same thing. Right. Yeah. But actually you realize that that's Xiao. It means few. It's similar meaning, mm-hmm. but a different word entirely. And so you do make these connections where you think, oh, those two are the same. It kind of means small, but actually it's two different words. Or the other way around, we're like, oh, these two things must not be related at all. And then later you find out, oh, it's the same character. And then you figure out like, oh, that makes sense because dot, dot, dot. So I definitely, I'm like, I'm holding my hands up, Holly, because that's probably one of my number (laughs) one things that I would do differently myself is not having ignored the Chinese characters. I think I would rather, like I would still probably have tried to learn speaking first, but then have learned the characters in parallel just at a slightly slower pace. So just kind of like let it slowly catch up because then you reach that tipping point. Like right now I'm at the tipping point where I can pretty much recognize most of the characters that I know how to say. And not only does that produce a stronger logic in my brain for the language, but I also, like, being in China, it really gets reinforced because when you just look around and you see all the signage and you see, you know, you get flyers at your door, et cetera, et cetera, you, you see those things being reinforced back at you just by repeat exposure. So it really helps then to cement the things that you know how to say by seeing it in print as well. And it really yeah. helps with the grammar too. So hands down, and, one of my favorite <laughs> ones too. <laughs> yeah. And another thing is that if you live here, even if you can only read a few characters, I feel like it really gives you a sense of freedom um mm. even just things like you can see uh like oh this is a sign for ent- entry and exit or you begin to recognize like st- like street names and things I-, I don't know just even having the 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 knowledge that i can read you know you can read a little bit i don't know it makes me feel more comfortable as well like if i, I was at the stage now too. and i and fun, yeah, absolutely. If I was at this state, this you know, having been here, t- almost ten years, 
and not if I couldn't read anything at all I f- think I would like I don't know I feel like it would be like a scare almost like a scary prospect to be honest not having to rely on other people or I mean I guess you can always ask you don't someone I suppose if you can't read but it just I don't know it just gives you some uh like independence I think right I agree one of my tactics when I was first starting to find because I like you Holly it was probably I don't know if it was five years into when I started learning the characters but it was at least three and mm-hmm. one of the tactics that I use would would be I would pick a character on a sign that I would see on my way home from work and learn that character yeah. so then like every time I would go home it would just be there and it would be like accidentally studying a flashcard because it would just be in my face on my walk home so even if I hadn't studied any Chinese that day, at least like I'm seeing this character right in front of me. And it really helped to start building my vocabulary. Plus, when you learn how to read, it's like a new world opens to you. You realize there's stuff yeah. right around you that you did not know was there. So like you realize, oh, there's a print shop on the second floor of my own building. I didn't know that it was mm-hmm. there because I couldn't read the sign for the business. Or, oh, <laughs> you know, like you just discover these things that you're like, oh, my gosh, that has been yeah. in front of me. I walked half a block down that way when I could have just gone upstairs. You know, just not that that would be a big one. <laughs> you know, it's China. The distances <laughs> tend to be really small. But still, you just kind of rediscover the environment that you're in. And it's such a, it's such a fulfilling experience. Yeah, absolutely. I remember um, when I first realized I could read the sign for a dry cleaners or it starting yes. to being able, be able to read um, like a bus schedule um, or recognizing dishes and a menu. Like, I yeah, I totally agree. It's fulfilling. It's, it feels really good. Oh, the bus schedule. Bus, um, bus like stops really taught me how to read Mm -hmm. Chinese because a lot of times the bus stop's name has several characters in it and even if you can just learn one if you can recognize one from it you can find your stop usually because you can if you know you know which part of the if it's a five if it's a five character name and you know it's the second one there's probably not going to be a lot of bus stops that have that same character in that same spot so it really does give you that sense of freedom I mean nowadays they have all these apps with English but I'm really glad that I came to China when we didn't have that and you really had to just kind of navigate I remember counting the stops you know before there was any English or anything just like okay did I miss one oh crap am I here I don't know (laughs) and then like just straining to hear the announcements on over the PA system of the bus and that was actually really good for learning Chinese yeah, I yeah, I totally agree with you. I, I had similar experiences. Um, do you have any other uh, mistakes that you made on your road to studying Chinese? I have just a couple left here. Um, and this okay. is one that I've definitely mentioned on the show before because it's, it's one of those things that I, I made the mistake for like almost an entire year and I got so frustrated. And that's one English word does not equal one Chinese character. <laughs> mm. And this is where, like, I guess if you had studied some Chinese more formally before coming to China, it would be helpful. But I'm telling you now, so you can even skip that part. <laughs> but um, basically, I, w- I was under the impression that when I see a Chinese character, that there is an English equivalent. 
Equivalent. And that is yeah. so not the case. Most English words will translate into at least two Chinese characters. And so when I was using my dictionary, and that was back when the technology wasn't as good too, so I had a very basic Chinese dictionary, I would be pointing to one Chinese character because in the definition mm. of that character, the word that I was looking for in English was in there. But to the Chinese person, they were like, completely confused <laughs> it would be like showing yeah. somebody like two letters of a word from a dictionary <laughs> that you wanted to see and they're like what you know like they're trying to figure out what you're saying and i would get so frustrated because i'd be like it's a because the definition would have what i wanted to say but when i showed them the character there was just like blank stares and so that's that's definitely on my list so that's one of the things and then the other thing that I'll say, um, which is my final point, the mistake that I made was saying things too slowly. Mm. Like when you first yeah. start out. Yeah. And you kind of eat because you get worried about like, oh, is this the right tone or not? Uh -huh. Like, I'm not sure. But if you actually just say the whole phrase without really worrying too much about the tones, like the tones are really important and you, you should study the tones. But if you kind of forget a few here and there. If you just say the whole phrase at once, you're going to be understood really well versus trying to say like each individual syllable with a perfect pronunciation. Like sometimes, somehow like stringing it together creates this kind of understanding magic where the, this Chinese speaker will understand you much better than if you're just trying to spit out um, a couple syllables at a time have you had that experience yeah. oh absolutely especially when like trying to take a taxi and you mm. you think you have to try and like with especially if it's a place you've never been before and you maybe you've you re, like you've written it down and no, they have absolutely no idea and i yeah i realized that just saying it nice and quickly <laughs> was the best <laughs> Was the best way. And also, I, I have a little confession to make. Um, if I have, you know, if I have a, if I have a beer, you know, I, I feel way more confident. And my Chinese is like 100% better. <laughs> like, I because I speak quickly and I'm just like, I don't have any issues with confidence. And uh, yeah, that's the... the I realize that sometimes if I if I have a drink, then I can just speak quite quite well. In fact, <laughs> <laughs> I get that. I mean, just just to take and and really, it's just that mentality you have to get over, which is that mm -hmm. fear of not being understood or of being embarrassed for saying things wrong. But then just think about how you would approach somebody who is trying to speak your own language and how cute it is when somebody is struggling. You know, it's just. I, at least me personally, I love that. And I never would mm. be like, oh, this, you know, what a stupid person. Because in my mind, when I'm trying to speak a foreign language, I'm afraid people are going to like think I'm dumb or they're going to get impatient with me. But really, most people feel really warm towards others who are trying to engage with them in their native language. Yeah. And so just imagine how you would be treating somebody in the reverse situation and just keep that in mind to help give you some of that confidence to to get speaking yeah yeah absolutely 
So there you have it. Those are our mistakes. We hope you can learn something from us and not make the same ones. <laughs> if you have other ones that you want to contribute, we want to hear all about them. We can add them to the website page. So um, if you go to writtenchinese.com slash episode 145, that's where the show notes are going to be. And if you want to drop a comment in there, you can add your own experiences for learning Chinese and share them with the community. It's really helpful for everybody to learn from each other. So please do that. Yeah, absolutely. Do we, are we going to introduce our, our new thing? <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't think of a better time to do that. And this wasn't really planned to do, you know, we didn't, this wasn't the whole purpose was to pitch a product, but actually Holly and I have been working on um, a product for the last oh I don't know it's probably about six months in the making well no I'm probably more mm -hmm. than that in the making yeah but it's it's something that's fun for learning for learning written Chinese so why don't you tell them about it Holly me oh okay put me on the spot there okay so um this is called my HSK dictionary and basically it's a subscription where you will get five uh, five new Chinese characters every week and these are in worksheets but like printable yeah printable form, and yeah. they're all yeah yeah exactly and they're all it's it's uh separated into I would say the essential things that you need to you need to learn to to study that character in in all its detail so as Nora said um, earlier on, she was like trying to learn just by writing the character over and over, and she wasn't thinking. She wasn't um, thinking of a, an actual way to learn to actually learn the character and remember it. Well, these worksheets are going to help you do that. Um, there's a section for you to create your own uh, mnemonic device. So maybe you can create like a picture or however you want to do it that will help you remember that character and the space to uh, write your own example sentences and space to learn how to write um, I mean basically it's like a whistle-stop tour of each character so you can remember all the details right it's got the definition it's got the character broken down into radicals mm -hmm. um, and when we say hsk we're talking about the mandarin proficiency exam if you haven't heard of that and that's something that's nice even if you don't plan on going on to be a professional chinese translator it's a really nice way to give your studying some kind of a structure and you can take an exam later if you feel like taking it through there's a institute and they have sent test centers all over the world. So there's probably one nearby where you live mm -hmm. and you can get a physical certification to prove that you have some kind of a, a level of Chinese and HSK one, which is where we're starting from, um, is it, it has like the very basic characters. And I think all together there's 150 and they're yeah. very commonly used characters. Um, they're not always the simplest to write, but they're very commonly used in Chinese. So it's a great way to get started with learning Chinese characters. And our worksheets, so like Holly mentioned, so when you subscribe, then you get five of them sent to, you, to your inbox every week. So you have basically one for every workday of the week. And you can fill in the worksheet, print it out, fill in the worksheet, and then add it to your own kind of um, physical, like, reference dictionary. I know there's a lot of cool apps out there where there's not, like, a physical 
um, dictionary, but I find personally that when I'm doing the actual writing of the characters and especially drawing, so it's kind of like adult coloring book meets Mm. Chinese learning, you know, vocabulary learning, because there's place to doodle on every page and it you have we have some examples for how to sketch the characters and like the character meanings so you can put kind of like silly um images in it to help you remember how to write it or what it means and it's got all the information in there and it's numbered starting from the most um starting from hsk1's first character and then going all the way through hsk1 and then if you want to continue you can go on to hsk2 you can just create this really good reference for yourself that has all the the characters in there and and the reasons that help you remember what they mean yeah that's it it's it's for your own studying really isn't it and one of the things that i mentioned earlier about having no consistency and wanting to start like starting all over again so i've been doing these worksheets at home and one of the nice things like when i first started i wanted to keep them like really nice and pretty and perfect but then I realized actually these should be for reference. So I was I was going back and like writing notes all over. So it's basically they look kind of crazy now, but it's really useful for me to like go back and look at a specific character and look at all the notes I made and you know, example sentences. I also find so, yeah, it really using... satisfying to flip back through the pages that I've completed. Uh-huh. Just aesthetically, it just feels nice. It's not the same. It's mm-hmm. just like something different from having a digital flashcard set is like flipping back through all those pages and seeing all the work that I've done and realizing, oh, wow, I actually have learned a lot. Um, Even though I yeah. still have more to go, like I have this proof that these are the words that I know and I know them really well. And I wish I would have taken the time when I first started out with Chinese to spend the time learning each character in a more complete way rather than rushing ahead and saying, oh, I can learn 15 in a day, 20 in a day, 30 in a day, which I could do for a few days in a row, but definitely would not be able to recall those a year from now. And so it's a nice way to just kind of give you something physical to do that will help to to cement your understanding of the character and give you something to flip. Like Holly says, she's she's been scribbling some notes on the sides. There's plenty of space on the sides um, in the bottom and there's even like a little like I said some kind of a place to doodle on it so it just you make it your own and we hope that if you are learning Chinese that this is useful for you so uh, and any feedback on this is also really welcome so if you try it out and you don't like it for some reason let us know and we'll make we'll collect all the feedback and we can continue making adjustments we also hope people will share their finished pages so that we can learn from each other and get inspired and motivated to keep learning Chinese I know a lot of people out there are kind of doing it on their own and so it's nice to become part of a community so you can share your one of the cool ways you can share what you're doing is once you finish your worksheet page you can take a photo of it with your phone and then upload it on the dictionary page of the website and then everybody can share what um what they've done that way too and you can get feedback and there's actually uh a lot of times there's native speakers on there which can help if you have issues with your writing or if you've written sentences in Chinese a lot of times there'll be feedback on there so it's a, just a cool way to to do something at home which you can also share in the community space yeah absolutely and as um as you said Nora it's not I mean, you don't necessarily even have to take the HSK exam. It's just 
because a lot of people struggle to figure out how to start learning Chinese or how to read and write. And this is the perfect way, really. This is, and it's in bite-sized chunks, so you don't feel overwhelmed. You get those the five five a week, which I which I think is uh, which I think is realistic. Um, so you could do one every week night, or uh, and you know review them at the weekend. Um, so I'm going to link to my HSK dictionary in uh, our show notes, but you can also go to writtenchinese.com/myhsk. And you can see all the all the information that Nora and I have just mentioned, and you can see some uh, some images there, and uh, you can also subscribe. <laughs> yeah, if you awesome. fancy it, <laughs> I'm really excited about this. Like, I am gonna be following yeah. along and doing my my own HSK because even though I've been studying for a while, yeah. it's nice. Some of those characters I have holes. Like some of those characters, uh-huh. me too. I forget how to write them, and so I need to. I need to go back and sort myself out and figure out, okay, how am I actually going to remember this for the long term? So it's been really good, even for somebody who's been studying for so long, to have that opportunity mm-hmm. to do something that forces me to to just create that kind of um, memorization technique. So it's it's gonna it's gonna be fun. Plus, it's, it's fun. Like it's fun because it's it you're doing fun. a little bit of coloring, shows you how to write the yeah. character. And it's something very shareable for social media, so you can share with other learners. And you know, if your teachers out there, you can also look into look into doing this with your classroom. So it's it's cool. Yeah, agreed. Uh, so before we finish up, Mara, do you have a word for us? A word well, of, of course, I did Shueshi, <laughs> which we probably have had before, yeah. but because this is the episode about learning Chinese, Xue Xi uh-huh. means to learn. And I know a lot of people out there are just beginners, so I wanted to to give one word that is very useful when you're beginning to learn Chinese, which is Xue Xi. So that's spelled X-U-E-X-I. Not an easy word to say, <laughs> but it's a common <laughs> no, word to know. Not. Holly will put a link to the dictionary in the show notes so you can check that out. Yeah, and you can um, actually one of the things we didn't mention, although on those worksheets there are these lovely like um, stroke diagrams. If you want more um, more assistance, you can go to the dictionary um, and see the stroke animations, and also hear it for your um, pronunciation. You can listen to the audio as well, which is pretty cool. So uh, yeah, go to uh, writtenchinese.com/episode one four five, and you'll see the links there. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for listening, everybody. We are so happy that you've continued to to listen in on the podcast and we want to know what you're curious about life in China. So again, feel free to drop us a line or leave us a voicemail and we we would love to tackle any questions about life in China. Yeah, we hope that you uh, tune in again for another episode of The Two Eye Chicks in China. Bye. Bye.